All right, let's go ahead and open the Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6. You guys forgive me, I forgot to announce it this morning and even tonight, I only remembered. Uh, we, we generally don't have any sort of a New Year's service and this year is no exception to that. Um, I'm not willing to risk the uh, safety of having everybody come out in the middle of the night for a service. So by all means, uh, do something special at home with your family and friends, but we'll not do anything as a church on uh, New Year's Eve. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6 is where we'll begin. And uh, tonight we're going to do quite a bit of moving around in the Bible. We have a lot to look at tonight. This is a continuation of a series we started a few Sunday nights ago called The Basics for Biblical Body Care. So we've already talked about diet, and we've talked about exercise, what the Bible has to say about these things. And tonight we're going to be talking about stress and how it uh, affects your health. And because it does affect your health in such a a grave way, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about it. So Philippians 4 verse 6, Paul says, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. And we're actually going to revisit this verse a little later on, so we'll get the rest of it in a few moments. Uh, when, when you look at that phrase, be careful, uh, another way you could think of it and, or even translate it is to say not to be anxious, not to panic about stuff, not to worry about things. Uh, the, the Bible tells us here not to be careful. You can think of it this way, to be full of care. So I think this is a good verse to introduce the idea of where we want to go tonight and talking about stress, but there's certainly other things we need to say. Let's go ahead and bow our heads if you would and ask, let's ask God together to help us and we'll proceed. Father, thank you tonight for the privilege of singing and also to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for this spiritual family that we have. Lord, I pray that you please guide us now. There are some very important things that need to be said and Lord, I, I speak as one who is faulty. I, I, I need help with this, God. Please teach me tonight some things about dealing with stress in a biblical and a godly manner. Please fill me with your spirit and give all of us ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, let me say this right off the bat when it comes to stress. Some stress is a good thing. Okay. Tonight's lesson is not how to empty your life of any sort of burden or uh, stress or problems. That's part of life. Uh, One person said it like this, a good life is a busy life. Uh, God forbid that you try to figure out a life where you just sit around doing absolutely nothing so that nothing bad ever happens. I think if you somehow manage to find a life where you're doing nothing... Um, you need to be stressed about that. <laughs> you need to be worried because, wow, you took a wrong turn somewhere. So some stress is good. It's necessary. It's the whole fight or flight um, inherent system that we have built into us. If you have a work project that is due, I hope there's some stress to get it done. I hope that you feel a little bit of pressure to do a good job. If you have a big test to write, uh, I hope you feel enough stress that you study for it, prepare for it. So I actually spoke with a clinical psychologist just this afternoon about uh, stress, and, and I listened to her input on it. And she referred to things like a, a work project or taking a test. Those are temporary stressors. Part of everybody's life, it's normal, it's natural. You do need to deal with it properly. You don't need to overreact. But these things, as the Bible says, they shall come to pass. 
They're not going to be around forever. And if you deal with it properly and get the job done, that kind of stress is not going to hurt you. That's healthy. But when stress goes from this temporary category into the chronic category, now you're in trouble. Chronic stress, uh, I looked up the definition for it, is a response to emotional pressure that is suffered for a prolonged period of time in which an individual perceives they have little or no control. So chronic stress, uh, I think an excellent example of this, we have a couple uh, people in our church, a couple families in our church that deal with this. They were born, or they had children born into their family with mental uh, impairments. Uh, I'm thinking of one family specifically, the cerebellum. The child had no cerebellum. And the child is just existing. And it's quite sad. And that problem will not go away. That problem is going to be there. It's something that they've had to learn to live with for the last several, several years. That's a, a, a type of chronic stress. Any time somebody has a disease that won't go away, maybe you have debt that is so big it's not going away anytime soon. Maybe you have a mother-in-law, right? That's <laughs> chronic stress. I mean, you don't want to get rid of your wife, but she comes with a mother-in-law, so that could be chronic stress. And then there's another... Now, now chronic stress, we're going to talk about that a little more and the side effects of that. Uh, you can find chronic stress in a job, in family, finances, health. Somebody hurt your feelings and you haven't dealt with it properly. That can be a source of chronic stress. You never get over it and that can hurt you. Now there's another type of stress and that is uh, it's personality based. And let's be honest, some of us, uh, no matter what is going on in life, we stress about it. If it's raining, oh dear, what am I going to do? And then the sun pops out, oh no, the sun's out. And, and it, you know, no matter what's going on, uh, what are we going to eat for breakfast? It's a problem. You know, it's lunchtime, I'm hungry. <gasps> what if I don't eat soon? I, everything stresses us out. We're just prone, we're prone to panic. And I must admit, uh, for years and years, I, I have to put myself in that category. I, I, I think the, a simple term for this would be a pessimist, right? You, the glass is always half full. Uh, no matter what you're dealing with, you know before you ever start the project, it's going to go wrong. It's go Everything is going to fall to pieces. The worst possible outcome is going to be your outcome. And you bring the chronic stress into your own life. So you, do you understand there's a difference with the chronic stress? Some of it you have no control over. It, it happened to you and now you have to deal with it. And, and sure enough, it can, it can be quite uh, damaging to your health. But then there's other things where... It's chronic stress, but only because you make it so. It's not so much that there's an actual problem that needs to be dealt with. You're the problem that needs to be dealt with. You're creating the panic. It doesn't really exist. So I just wanted to point out the differences there with the, uh, where the stress might come from. Now, some of the negative side effects, guys, I, you can go on the Internet just as well as I can and look these up. I in all the reading and research I did, here's just a few of the negative side effects that uh, stress will provide for your health. Number one, premature aging. Who wants that? Uh, weight gain. Who wants that? <laughs> this one surprised me. It shrinks your brain. Chronic stress. See, I, now I have a medical excuse, right? <laughs> I, now I know what happened. It's all those years of pessimism. It has shrunk my brain. 
Uh, it fuels cancer in some cases, so they've seen. Disrupts fertility. It impacts unborn children. Connie, nice and calm, right? Just stay nice and calm. Um, it causes depression, I think is quite obvious. It damages the heart. One, one survey, well, not survey, but one um, study revealed that it's the equivalent to smoking five or more cigarettes a day, just living with chronic stress damaging the heart. It increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease. It increases the risk of stroke. It negative, negatively affects your lung function. Uh, it damages the liver uh, because of raising blood sugar and so forth, those levels. It, uh, your skin suffers, eczema and psoriasis and things like that. Digestive issues arise because of this. You can suffer of prolonged migraines and headaches. And uh, I like this one. It just makes you difficult to be around. <laughs> That's a negative side effect for your health and for your wife's health and your husband's health and your kids, everybody around you. It affects their health as well. One psychologist said this, deal with stress or it will deal with you. Deal with stress or it will deal with you. I've had this question a few times, uh, only since I've come to Potch. In Malawi, never had this question. Now that I think about it, in Malawi, I don't know if I ever met a psychologist there. But I, I, I get this question a lot here. People say, Brother Mike, as a pastor, uh, do you have anything against psychologists? And then some people say, what about the Bible? Does it say anything against psychology? I've really never had to think about that before I, I came here. Guys, there's no verse in the Bible against a psychologist, not, not that I've ever known of or heard of. Uh, Dr. Ruckman taught us, he said, if you want to learn about psychology, just read the book of Ecclesiastes. And I must admit, in, in the limited reading I've done about psychology, everything I've ever read about it, you can find somewhere in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's explained maybe in different words, but it's, it's all there. I think that there is a time and a place for a psychologist in a person's life. I don't think that you should just run into their office and get a prescription and get pills from, you know, psychiatrists or whatever and and try to fix it with that. I don't think all of life's problems can be dealt with there, but I think there is a time and a place, especially if someone has trauma that they've gone through from a young age. It's going to take a little while to unpack all of that. Now, certainly, spiritual uh, counsel and advice you need, right? That's not going to hurt you. But there is a time and a place for a psychologist as well. Now, what I've tried to do in this lesson tonight is, is identify three main causes of stress. Three different angles at which stress is going to come at you. And I called the clinical psychologist today and asked her, do I, have I covered all the bases? Because I'm obviously not a professional as she is. She said, Pastor, I think you've, you've covered it all in these three things. So by the grace of God, this will help. By no means is this all the information that you need or that the Bible has on it. But let's come to Matthew chapter 6 and let's dig into this. There's quite a bit I'd like to say tonight. Matthew 6, and let's start at verse number 25. So we're going to look at three causes of stress and then see what the Bible says about how you should deal with them. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 25. The first cause of stress is, is worry. And then I have in my notes, worry slash fear of the future. Fear of the future. I think one of the greatest fears that there is, is the fear of the unknown. Would you agree with that? Not knowing what's going to happen. That, 
that can really plague a person. I think if something is happening and it's scary, you should be afraid, right? You shouldn't feel any conviction or feel bad about that. Uh, that means you're actually living, breathing, and a functioning human being. That's, that's good for you. But worrying about what might happen, that's a whole other category. So Jesus says in Matthew six twenty-five, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Now when he says, take no thought, that little phrase, you remember where we started in Philippians 4? Be careful for nothing. Same Greek word behind that. Same thing. He's saying, don't be anxious. Don't panic about it. Uh, by all means, Jesus, there's lots of other things that he said that tells us it's okay to plan for the future. It's okay to consider the future. But never does Jesus condone worrying being anxious or panicking about the future. So come down to verse 31, just to shorten this a bit. Verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now he had just gotten done telling the, the, the crowd that God is very well aware of their situation. He's numbered the hairs of their heads. God feeds the birds, clothes the grass of the field. He can certainly take care of you. Verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. So being anxious and panicking about it, Jesus has clearly told us there's just no room for that. God is on the job. He, he's well aware of what you're going through. You need to believe that. Now I know that this advice might sound oversimplified, but guys, uh, really... If you've been here for all of the lessons in this series, I think it's all been pretty simple, right? When we talked about diet, what was the main thought? The, ma the main thought was, was just to be moderate, right? Don't, don't eat too little, don't eat too much. Don't stuff yourself. That, that was the main thought. When we talked about exercise, it was all about discipline and being consistent. It was a very simple thought. I've had seven or eight people come to me since we started these lessons and said, Pastor, we've tried that advice and it's worked. We feel better. I've tried it in my life. It was difficult over Christmas, right? Man, my wife can cook. She made some lekkerkos. What? Pumpkin pie. It was an actual American Christmas in my house, with the food at least. Not with the weather, but with the food. Oh, it was wonderful. And, and trying to apply the biblical principle of moderation was not easy. But I feel a lot better having done that. A whole lot better. My health, honestly, in the last, I don't know, eight, nine months, better than I've ever felt. And in the last few weeks after applying this, I feel even better. Now, I'm working real hard on this part, on taking my worries, my anxiousness, and leaving it at the, at the, uh, at the feet of God, there at the throne of God, and letting him, him deal with it. In verse 34, Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We're going to talk more about that verse in just a moment. But uh, let me ask you to come to Psalms 127. Psalm 127. I'll give you another couple verses here about worrying. Psalm 127. Now, don't forget, don't lose sight of that definition I gave you earlier for chronic stress. 
It's emotional pressure suffered for a prolonged period of time in which an individual perceives he has little or no control. Little or no control. How much control do you have on the future? It's quite limited. Right? Now, now, you do have some. I mean, the choices that you're making today do affect tomorrow. We get that. So you can plan for it. And I'm going to show you some things about that. But there's only so much you can do about it. So if you perceive... I have little or no control. There's nothing I can do. Maybe you have it in your mind, oh, what if I do more? What if this? What if that? And you run through all the things you think you can do to manipulate the future. And you're perceiving it just wrong. There's only so much you can do. Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now, does this verse indicate that the builder doesn't need to show up with bricks and mortar to build the house? No, he needs to do his part, but we also recognize that God's got to do his part. And then the end of it, does the watchman need to uh, leave his post? Does he not need to watch? Obviously not. He needs to be there. He needs to watch over what's happening, but safety at the end of the day is of the Lord. We need to recognize God's part in this scenario. Verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure this is universally true. How many of you have lost sleep worrying about something? Now, I think that's a fairly human thing to do. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that that's what we do. We, uh, we lose sleep whether we can't fall asleep or we wake up early. And have you ever done this? You wake up thinking about the problem. It's as if you were thinking about it while you were asleep and you woke up and your mind is already running and your body just caught up with you. It, it's a very frustrating way to, work, to, uh, to wake up. How many of you have done this? You've been stressed out and, and we do this. We call it stress eating. Any of you practice that on a regular basis? Stress eating? Right? You eat the sugary, fatty, the bad fatty foods, right? Uh, the carbohydrates, the salt, the sugar. It, it, it's medically true that when we get stressed, our body desires those type of things. It almost acts as an opioid to kind of numb the pain a little bit. Stress eating is a real thing. Very unhealthy. Very, very unhealthy. But when we get into that fight or flight mode, our body starts to tell us, you need to store up energy. You're about to, you might be in a situation where you won't have food, so pack on the fat real quick, and it kind of stores, man, that's a dangerous place to be. I think the Bible's alluding to that here. You stay up late, rise up early to eat the bread of sorrows. You get into stress eating, which isn't healthy. God would rather, rather have you spend a little bit of time in prayer, leave it at the throne, and say, God, I'm I'm going to go sleep, I'll, I'll, I'll go take a nap for a while, I'll go sleep, you handle it from here on out. I've done all that I can do about it for now. Take your Bible, come to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. So what do you do when there's genuine problems going on in your life and, and you need to do something, you can't just uh, ignore it? Rather than sitting around worrying about it, what should you do? I'm going to give you a real simple plan for dealing with the problems of life. 
And again, I checked this out. I asked the psychologist today, I said, does this plan make sense to you? She said, that's exactly what I would tell my patients. So I, I felt confident in giving this advice tonight. Deuteronomy 32, verse 29. Here's the first step. Consider your options. Whatever you're dealing with, consider your options. God said in verse 29, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. So when something happens, sit down and consider your options. All right, now, what could I do about this? Plan A is this, B, C, and onward. And sit down and actually address the problem. Don't act as if it's not there because that will only make you worry about it more. You'll be more afraid of what you don't know. So sit down, look at it, get all the facts, and then consider your options. Nothing real deep in this advice, is there, right? This is very simple. Consider your options. Part two, next thing, come to Proverbs 16. Make a plan. Proverbs 16. I just want you to see the verses so that you know this is a biblical way to handle it, okay? I think most of you already know this just by common sense, but I want you to see that uh, God endorses this. Proverbs 16 and verse 9. Proverbs 16, verse 9. It says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. So you consider your options. I got plan A, B, C, D. And then you choose one of them. Say, so, all right, I'm going to go with plan A or whatever it might be. This, I think, is the best way to go forward. Now, as you execute the plan, which that's the next step, right? So consider your options, make a plan, execute the plan. As you're executing that plan, you do need to stay sensitive to how God might lead or direct you. You might have had the wrong plan. Amen. Have any of you ever been in that where you thought, okay, God, I'm going to fix it, only to find out, oops, that's not how you fix it. Let's go on to plan B or C or whatever it was, which leads me to the next thing. And really, the only reason I didn't start with this one is because you should be doing this the whole way throughout it. Come to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and this is where we started, verse number 6. So you need to consider your options, make a plan, execute the plan, and then pray about it. Now I say and then pray about it. You should be praying from the very beginning. God, what are all my options? God, what's the best option? God, help me to execute the option. And then as you execute and God begins to direct your steps, you say, God, each footstep, Lord, is, is this, are we doing right? Are we okay so far? And then keep praying the whole way throughout. Philippians 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, how do we get to verse 7, right? Isn't, isn't that the, an the anecdote to stress? We want the peace to keep our hearts and minds, the peace that passes all understanding. So you're going through something, and any other human being would look at that and say, how are you so calm? How are you not freaking out right now? And you should be able to say, I've gone through this biblical process, I've prayed about it throughout, considered the options, made a plan, executed the plan. I'm leaving the rest in God's hands. I've done as much as I know to do. If there's anything else I need to do or anything I need to change about my life, I want God to show me what that is. But based on what he has shown me, 
This is the best I can do. And listen, folks, this is deep. The best you can do is the best you can do. And you need to be satisfied with that. Do not become a what-ifer. What, don't what-if the thing to death. Well, what if I had done this? Well, what if I say that? Well, you can lay there, and this is where we lose sleep. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if, what if, what? Oh, stop for a moment. Don't what-if the situation to death. At the beginning, you do consider the options. A what-if question isn't bad. Okay, what if this? Well, I've considered it. What if that? Fine. I've, I've confronted it. It's a reality. But I've made a plan. Now, you guys, you guys are good at plans, right? Burmakaplan. Doesn't that sound familiar? Right? What's the next step of that? What, what's the old saying? The Burmakaplan, but then who, who actually executes the plan? Isn't there another step to that saying? Oh, there isn't. Oh, th- I, I know I'm talking to Bura Mensa now. <laughs> no, no, no. We just make the plan and do the plan. It's all us. <laughs> I get it. Okay. My bad. Anyway. <laughs> so, you guys make the plan, execute the plan. You, once you start to execute the plan, trying to answer all the what if questions, what if this happens and that happens, guys, it hasn't happened yet. You already considered it in the beginning. That's why you chose the plan you did because it seemed to cover most of the what-ifs. And now all you can do is say, God, if there's anything I've missed, show me as I go. As I take my steps, please direct them. Say, but Brother Mike, what if I had it wrong? I'm glad you asked. Look at Romans 8. Did you know there's a passage for that? Just in case you get it wrong. Romans 8. Verse 26. Romans 8, verse 26. Now some people, as you're finding that, just let me slip this in. Some people would, they they tend to be very polarized on this. They say, well, I'll pray about it and leave it up to God. And then they don't do anything. And then some people go the other way and say, well, bless God, you know, you people can pray, but I'm going to get up and actually do something about it. Guys, we need to mix the two, right? As you consider the plan, make the plan, execute the plan, you need to be praying. Both things need to be happening at the same time. As one preacher said, put feet to your prayers. I like what the, what the psychologist told me today. She's, also, she's in our church. She's a very fine believer. She told me this. She said they had a saying in school when she was studying. Study as if you haven't prayed and pray as if you haven't studied. I like that. That actually makes a lot of sense if you, if you stop and think about that for a while. You say, but what, what if I make the wrong plan? What if I'm doing the wrong thing? Look at Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. And infirmity is a shortcoming. What's the shortcoming? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Do you know another way of saying this? I'm... I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what to do, and it's freaking me out. And God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm infirmed. I'm, I have a shortcoming. I don't know if this is the right plan. Here's where you take comfort. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He is aware of what you're going through, and it has touched him. So much so that he is groaning over the issue. Verse 27. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints 
according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you have considered, made, and executed a plan that doesn't fit perfectly with the will of God, you know what God will do? The Holy Spirit will head right up to the throne room and say, Father, bless their heart, they tried, but they have some shortcomings. They just don't see the, the big picture. Let's redirect their lives. Let's direct their steps so that things work out according to our purpose and not theirs. And you can take great comfort if you believe this and actually apply it. I believe it can alleviate a lot of stress. Because then, but what if this, but what if that? Well, what if Romans 8 is true? What if God is aware of your situation and can, even though you have stepped out of line, he can redirect the steps back where they need to be? Now, I'm going to add one more thing to this list. Consider, make, execute a plan, pray the whole time, and then Dr. Ruckman gave us this advice. I've told you this before. After you've done all that you can do, go fishing. Just go fishing. Now, if fishing is not your thing, put in whatever activity you want there. But after you've done all you can do, you have done all you can do. It's time to relax and go fishing and let God be God and let him take care of it. I remember when Christina and I, a year after we'd been saved, we had been praying about going to Bible school, which would mean we'd move from Texas to Florida. It's about a, about a 12-hour drive. It's a pretty big move for two young people and Christina had just recently gone through a miscarriage and she had fallen pregnant again and then God started to deal he had been dealing with me but there was one Sunday where God said time for you to go to Bible school now that's a decent amount of stress because there's a lot of what ifs what if she doesn't have a successful pregnancy if we leave the job we have now and go to, go to Florida for Bible school, there's no insurance. There's, I don't even know if I'll find a job there. There's a lot of what ifs. And then the other side, well, well, I think God wants me to go. And if I want to have the peace of God and be in the will of God, I need to go. So what'd you do? Considered the options, made a plan, executed the plan, prayed like crazy. And then when I got there, I said, God, if I made the wrong decision, you know I didn't mean to. And if I'm wrong and I get to the judgment seat of Christ one day and the Lord says, why'd you do that? I can honestly say, Lord, I did the very best I could with what you showed me. There's nothing else for me to stress about. For me to lay there in bed going, oh, but what if this is the wrong thing? What if I make the wrong move? Now I'm bringing the stress on myself. It's gone from a temporary important decision where I need a little bit of pressure to make the right plan now I've turned it into chronic stress and now it's going to damage my health both physically and spiritually. Uh, I think some of you might be able to appreciate this but for years in Malawi I had one phobia. I think I, w I don't even know if this is an official phobia. I was scared to death of the police. C can we call that a police-a-phobia? I, I don't know if that's the right I, I was scared to death of the police. I was. Right after I got there, I moved there, a bunch of missionaries came around and said, Brother Mike, let me tell you how it goes in Malawi. And they told me all these horrible stories about what the policemen do and how they cheat and they're corrupt. And I thought, oh my goodness. And I must admit, I, yeah, in, in small ways, I found out they were right. 
a lot of times it was, they, I didn't feel safer when they came around. I was scared. I thought that they would use their weapons, use their authority to abuse me, and sometimes they threatened that. Every time you drive somewhere in Malawi, you meet a checkpoint. Every, there's a traffic stop every time you leave the house. I couldn't go to the grocery store and back without being stopped by a policeman. So every time I leave the house, I had to have cash with me because every time they find something wrong with my vehicle. Every single time. And it got me scared of them. Now, how do I deal with that? What should I do? Well, I should consider my options, right? I got two options. I can continue on with my life as normal, go where I need to go, minister to people, go to church, preach the gospel, or I can stay in my house all day, every day, and pray that the police don't come in my house. <laughs> now, now, do you see that, that that stress that I put myself under... I would lay awake at night if I had to go somewhere the next day worrying what are the police going to say tomorrow when they stop me on the street. That's not reasonable, is it? I put myself under that stress. What if this? What if that? Did you know I never got arrested? <laughs> Did you know not one of those fears came to pass? Yes, they took my money a few times making up little violations and stuff. But guys, all of that fear I brought on myself. Can I bring this home? for you here in South Africa I think there's quite a bit of worry and panic right now what's the government going to do about the land now you guys know me I, I'm not a political guy right you don't hear me talking about politics much from the pulpit nor do I want to but I do see a lot of people panicking and stressed about it so I'm going to say a thing or two about it C can I can I be honest with you folks I think if this government goes through with the land expropriation without compensation, I think it's bad for everyone. Okay? You, do you guys know me well enough to know I'm, I'm not trying to take sides on the white people or the black people? I think it's, it's going to be bad for everyone. And I'm not talking financially, okay? I, I'm not even addressing that issue. I'm talking socially. Socially, it's going to be bad. You, you know why? In the days of apartheid, from what I've seen, I'm just talking from my personal experience. Please feel free to have your own experiences, your own opinions. But a lot of people said apartheid was the white man's thing. Not every white man made that up. Not every white man liked it. There's a lot of white people that didn't appreciate it, that fought against it. So it's kind of wrong to say apartheid equals white man's problem. No, you need to look at each individual. Likewise, right now to say land expropriation without compensation black people problem no not not every black person is out to steal your farm they don't not all of them want to cheat you I, I I get it I know there's a lot of history here and good grief I cannot try to speak to everybody's situation but I know my own personal experiences I have met a lot of people people black and white in this country that love God and love each other regardless of their color and a lot of them sit in this church some of you are sitting here right now you honestly don't see color you look beyond that and look into the person's soul I think I think somebody signs into law that you can take the land it's going to be bad for everyone because everyone gets tense and now we're looking at the person's skin color and assuming because you're that color you feel a certain way about me and that just won't be true so in that sense it's going to get quite quite scary, quite tense in that way. 
But let's, let's think about it. Should we worry about it? A lot of people have. Chronic stress. I've had them in the office. They can't sleep at night. Worried. All through the night. They try to pray and they can't even pray. They're so distracted. They want to leave the country. Should you move? Should you stay? I don't know. Consider your options. Make a plan. Execute the plan. Pray about it. I think the answer will be different for everybody. I really do. Man, I wouldn't judge you for making one decision or the other. You need to find out what God's telling you to do about it. But here's my advice on such a legitimately stressful situation. Live today while you have today. What if they sign it into law in March? What if, what if they take the land? We're not there yet. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? Take no thought for the morrow. The morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So how about we just take care of today? We're not there yet. Is it a legitimate threat? Sure, so consider some options. Be ready in case something happens. But beyond that, guys, all we can do is say, God, if it happens, we're going to learn something about prayer. Amen? Folks, I think that's amen. I, I think that's an amen time. Say, so, oh, Brother Mike, you just don't understand. You're not South African. Hey, man, I chose to be here. You ever thought about that? I actually, I actually wanted to move here. Some of you were born here. You didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> I came here on purpose. You showed up. Boom, there you are. <laughs> I've had to consider the option. You think I haven't? You see, I got an easy out. It's not easy for a lot of you. You don't have the options I have. I have an American passport. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> but I also have to consider the will of God. Now, what do I do? Well, consider Make a plan, execute, and pray, 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 and live today. Live today. One person gave this advice. If, if so many times we get worried about next week, we panic, we freak out, we stress, so stop thinking about next week. It's not here yet. It's not here yet. If your wife says, hey, my mom is coming next week, well, then enjoy today while she's not there. <laughs> Amen. You don't need to sit around the house going, oh no, she's coming, the wicked witch of the west. Ah, don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. She's not here yet. Go ahead and enjoy today. Now, now if, if thinking about next week stresses you out too much, don't think about it. Think about today. Try to get through today. Right? If today is too much for you, because you might be going through something that's really big. Today. It's happening. And if it's too big to think about today, think about one hour. Can you make it through one hour? And if you can't make it through that, make it through five minutes. Do you see how this works? Just break life down into manageable pieces. And then do something with the time you have. All right, I've got to get moving. I want to show you the other two things. Let's come to Psalm chapter 131. Would you please get that in your left hand? Psalm 131, verse 1. And then in your right hand, you can get, I think you might know this verse already. I'm sure a lot of you do. Philippians 4.13. You can get that in your other hand if you need to. I'd like to show you some other things in Philippians, so it uh, wouldn't hurt you to be ready for that. 
Psalm 131, verse 1. And we are going to compare that with Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13, we know this, yes? Okay. So he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Right? Okay, if we just take that verse by itself, divorce it from the rest of the Bible, give it no context, that verse will tell you, I can do anything. I can do anything. Climb Mount Everest, I could fly. (laughs) You know, with my hands, I can, I, can, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, right? I will, right? The Bible says I'll mount up with wings like an eagle. <laughs> Off I go, I'll fly. Uh, I can find a verse for anything. <laughs> for anything. Okay, now, now let's, let's give the verse it's due. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Well, that does. That is quite an encouraging verse that should motivate you to accomplish some goals, Right? So, what about Psalm 131, verse 1? Lord, David said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. If I could put that another way, I don't want to bite off more than I can chew. Now, do, do you see there's a, a small struggle here because we don't want to tell you to be underachievers. We don't want to tell you not to have goals and not to strive and press forward. By all means, we need to, to reach forth under the prize of the high calling of God. But at the same time, we do not want to overdo it. And this is the second source for stress. Number one, we worry and we get afraid of the future. There's just no point in doing so. It's not helping anything at all. But number two, I think we get stressed out because we, we take on more than we can handle. We bite off more than we can chew and we're overdoing it. Now, if you only look at Philippians, you say, well, I can do all things. That doesn't mean you need to do all things. (laughs) You understand the context of Philippians 4. Paul, in verse number 12, if you're looking at it, he says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to suffer need. I, I can be all things. So no matter if things are going good or going bad, I can handle any of that through Christ. That's his point. He's not saying I can do everything and accomplish every goal right now if I just trust the Lord. That, that's not common sense. That's not biblical sense. That's not what Paul is saying. I know myself. I get caught up in this. Look at Philippians chapter 3 while we're at it. I, I don't want to forget to show it to you. Philippians 3. Again, you might know this verse, but verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So you can see he's still motivated to do something for God. But with David's comment, we're not going to take it too far and do more than God is asking us to do. Now, I know myself, I, uh, I like to multitask. And I, I had it drilled into me since I got saved that redeeming the time, right? You know that verse, redeeming the time? What that means is you need to do as much as you can in that one moment. So if you're only doing one thing at a time, you're not redeeming the time. Now, I went with that logic for a long time, and I found that I, I continuously burn out. Because if I'm not doing multiple things at one time, I'm not doing it right. 
I'm wasting time. So I, I even I read it in one of Dr. Uckman's commentaries on re, when he talked about redeeming the time. If you're doing this, you can do four other things at the same time. I don't know if I agree with that. You know what I think? Redeeming the time in that particular minute where you find yourself, concentrate on the one thing you're doing and do it really well. Right? Because if I'm trying to do four things at once, chances are I'll mess all four things up and have to go back later and do them all again. And now I've wasted my time. Now, granted, there are some times that we will have to multitask. There are some things in life you, you can't avoid it. I'll tell you one job where you must multitask. And these, they are, they are the experts at it, and that is motherhood. You cannot be a mom without the gift of multitasking. Wow, you have a baby here, and you're stirring a pot here, and the microwave's dinging here, and you got your husband yelling at you there. I mean, just so many things going on. My goodness, that's, they are the multitasking experts. So there's certainly a time and a place where you have to do it. But can any of you show me the verse that commands you to multitask? Anybody know of the verse that says you need to write a book, pastor a church, compose music, be the perfect dad, perfect husband, compete in the Olympics, sing in an opera, and all, you need to accomplish all of this by... 2020. I mean, that, that's what we try to do. We try to reach the prize of the high calling tomorrow. And we live under, we put this stress on ourselves thinking we've got to accomplish it all right now. I started a business last year. It's got to be a success in the next three months or else the world will consider me a failure. Maybe your idea of success and what you need to accomplish is not the same as God's. And you're putting too much stress and pressure on yourself. I've done that for years. When I was preparing for the debates with Yusuf, my schedule, I went 16 hours a day straight. I'd have my lunch at the desk and I'd be watching something, taking notes and eating. Writing with my right hand, eating with my left hand, watching, and it never stopped. So I'm watching debates on YouTube. I'd read a book and I'm making notes with my other hand. And all three different things. And I thought, well, I've got to get it done. And in this time, I read the Quran in 30 days and read through most of the Bible as well and wrote that book that we now have, that, the answers for the contradictions, in 30 days. Guys, that's too much. Did you know that's why I couldn't leave my bed for five weeks later? You know, five weeks after the debate. It, it, I completely burned out. You know why? I was just doing too much. Some of you are doing too much. You're doing more than God wants you to do. You're doing more than your wife wants you to do. You're doing more than your kids want you to do. They'd like for you to be at home, spend some good time with them, quality time with them. Man, you got so many irons in the fire, you're gonna run yourself to an early grave. Who says it's wrong to cut back a little bit? How many of you like December because the pace of life slows down? Any of you like that? Me? Oh man, thank God. Every month should be December. <laughs> minus the heat. We need the weather of July in the month of December with, with the pace of December. Now, guys, I get it. We, we can't live on vacation, okay? I get that. You know that. You might want to learn something from your December time, and you might want to cut back a little bit. Say, I won't accomplish as much. And? And? You might enjoy life a whole lot more. You may not be so stressed. It may be more pleasant to be around you. 
take your Bible. Let me show you a little something here. Matthew 25. Let's take a look at this quickly. Matthew 25. Now, I'm entering into dangerous territory here. Very dangerous. The last thing I want to do is demotivate you. Whether that be with your business, your schooling, your family, or especially your walk with God. I do not want to do that. Please continue pressing forward, right? Forgetting what's behind and pressing forward. Please take that on board. You can accomplish anything that God wants you to accomplish. You understand that? You don't want to bite off more than you can chew, but you need to keep moving forward. Now, I I have to preface this next verse with that because I don't want you to read this and go, oh, good, I don't need to do that much. You need to do as much as God has called you to do. But Matthew 25, look at verse 23. Wenzel, as he was teaching us this morning, that's where I actually got this verse. I hadn't put it in the lesson until this morning in Sunday school. Matthew 25, 23. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a whole lot of things. Not what it says. You know what he says? He's been faithful over a few things. And that, that phrase there, a few things, that stuck out to me. You know what? The pressure I've been putting myself under to accomplish 20 things, maybe that pressure came from me and not from God. When you read about the parable in Luke 19, very similar to this, he says you've been faithful over a very little. Do you understand why I prefaced it? I don't want you to walk out and go, oh, thank God, I don't have to do much. (laughs) I just have to accomplish one or two things. That should be enough for a lifetime. Please, please don't develop that attitude. Please balance it. But some of you have been running with the pedal to the metal for the last 10, 20 years. And you're running on fumes. You are, you are burning yourself out. And you're going to be useless in the next 5 to 10 years. You're going to destroy your health, your family. Your business will suffer. Your walk with God. Everything's going to start to fall to pieces because you just won't take a break. You're overdoing it. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse number 1, if you... Want to take a look at that real quick? Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12 and 1. The author of Hebrews says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with... And what's the next word there? Run with patience. The race that is set before us. The writer, the author here, did not say run as quickly as you could. He said run with patience. Pace yourself. Pace yourself. Now some people aren't running at all. That's a problem. Right? That's a problem. Some people are running too fast. Some of you are running too fast. You're just trying to do too much. As I was coaching at the university a few years ago, we had a, a... colored kid on the team named, we called him Z, but his name was Zentle Malloy. And uh, Zentle, many of you might have, you might remember Z. He, he was an outstanding guy. Man, he was an awesome fellow to be around. And very high strung. When he got excited, whoo, man, he was, he was a bundle of energy, dangerously so. When I would put Z in the game, now, all of my guys tried hard, but Z would get in the game and he would run so fast, I kid you not, he couldn't stop. You, you ever watch those cartoons 
where when they start to run, they brrr in place for a minute and then they take off. That was, that was Z. And when he wanted to stop, he would slide for a while because he run, he'd run so fast. He was out of control. Now, his, his problem was he was actually trying too hard. He would run past the play. He would run out of bounds, not trying to. And I had to tell him, I pulled him aside, I said, Z, listen, I wouldn't tell this to everybody, but I'm, I'm going to tell it to you. You need to give me 80% effort. <laughs> Your 80% will be 100%. Now, now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Could it be if you were to slow down a little bit, you could do a better job at every part of your life? Could it be that your 80 needs to be your new 100? Does that make sense? Instead of saying, well, I want to give it my best effort. Okay, in order for Z to give his best effort on the court, he needs to slow down. Because he's going so fast, he would go up to shoot the ball and forget the ball. Seriously, he'd run down the court, he would, he's bouncing the ball, and he'd run past the ball. Because he's bouncing and run off, and then he'd have to go back and get the ball to shoot it. So Z, slow down, and you could do a better job of shooting. And sure enough, he went in the game, slowed down. I even, as, he run, as he ran past me, I, I'd say, breathe. He'd, he'd forget to breathe. He'd, he'd run down the court holding his breath. He would. He was so excited. <gasps> Just off he'd go. Breathe. <gasps> and when he'd stop and, 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 and slow down a little bit, oh man, he could shoot. He was a good player. Some of you need to take that advice. Slow down a little bit and do a better job at what you're doing. You know what God said? Be still. Be still and know that I'm God. That requires you stopping for a while. Taking some time off. Maybe eliminating something from your schedule. Let's come to 2 Corinthians 4. And we're on to the last thing now. So some of, some of us, the stress comes in because we're worried and fearful of the future. Sometimes we've simply taken on too many projects. We're overdoing it. We expect too much of ourselves. And then in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8, some of the times, it's insurmountable trouble. Insurmountable trouble. That is, there's so many problems happening at once, you just get overloaded. And this is, the, this is the opposite of what we just talked about. In the point we just covered, you took on, ooh, you took on too much. But now what we're talking about is life gave you too much. So you have a normal schedule, you got a job, you got studies, you got a family, everything's fine, nice and balanced, and then all of a sudden problems came in that you couldn't have predicted, now what do you do? It's not your fault at all. And sometimes that problem simply won't go away. So 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8, Paul said it like this, we are troubled on every side. Well there you go, everywhere he looked, trouble. How many of you feel like that? Again, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but you, you, you've probably felt like that at least once in your life. Maybe some of you are dealing with that now. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, it's trouble. Trouble on every side. Look at what he said next. Yet not distressed. There is a way to meet with these insurmountable troubles. 
and not get stressed out. So I'd like to give you a few thoughts on how to do that. Come to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. Psalm 102, and instead of starting at verse 1, we're actually going to read the heading of this chapter. I don't often do this, but uh, some of you, or a lot of you maybe, you have a Bible that underneath Psalm 102, there's some very small or fine print. Uh, So if you have that, not all Bibles have it, but most of them do. It, It says underneath the heading there, a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before God. So Psalm 102, if you are feeling overwhelmed, please go to this chapter. Now we're not going to read the whole chapter tonight, but this is the chapter of a man who is overwhelmed and uh, stressed out. So in verse 1 he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. You can hear the panic there. God, I need help and I need it right now. Verse 3, for my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned as an hearth. Do you you see there it's affecting his physical health? Obviously it's affecting his his spirit, but also his body. In verse 4, my heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget look at the physical to eat my bread he's so overwhelmed he's lost his appetite he says in verse 5 by reason of the voice of my groaning my bones cleave to my skin it affects him physically do you see that there verse number 9 come down to verse 9 for I have eaten ashes like bread it affected his diet Changed his appetite. Stress will do that to you. He says, and mingled my drink with weeping. Now come on down to verse number 18. In verse 18, he says, This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. So whoever wrote Psalm 102, I'm going to assume it's David, but it may not have been. Whoever it is, he says, we're writing this down so that future generations can read it and get some help from it. So here we are tonight, what, 3,000 years later, people still deal with being overwhelmed and we can learn something about it. Now, sometimes we take on too much, sometimes life hands us too much. When that starts to happen, you can turn to the Bible, right? Psalm, uh, verse number 18 says, these things are written so that you can find some help. Turn to the book of Psalms. Turn somewhere in your Bible and and read about how other people have dealt with very difficult situations in life, i.e. Job. Get familiar with that book. David got chased by Saul. That was chronic stress. Saul wouldn't go away. Kept chasing him. Read the book of Psalms and you'll find that godly men who didn't deserve the problems constantly had trouble. So reading the Bible is going to be a great source of, of, of comfort and peace when you're going through something. But come to Galatians chapter 6 and let me uh, bring to your attention something else that I, I really wish you take or let's say hope you take advantage of. Galatians 6 verse 2. 
Galatians 6 and 2. Paul says here, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you see that last part, the law of Christ? That's not the Ten Commandments or anything like that. The law of Christ is, is another way of saying this is the way Jesus did it. The, the law, his, his habits, that's what he did. What did Jesus do? He would go from place to place, find people in trouble, and help them carry their cross. Now, you know what happened at the end of Jesus' life? He got weak and tired, and somebody helped him carry his cross. Bear one another's burdens. Guys, if you're going through something, please take advantage of the people God has put around you. One of the, one of the things, I, I know this is true because I've done it, when we get stressed out, panicked, and it eventually leads to depression, right? We're going to talk about that in another lesson. When we get stressed out and everything's going wrong, we tend to feel very isolated. And we start to think no one else will understand what I'm going through. If you'll open up and talk to somebody, you'll find out a lot of people have gone through what you're going through. No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Take advantage of the people God has put in your life. This is one of the many advantages of having a strong Bible-believing church. You know that not only will you have people that love and care about you, but they're going to do it in a biblical way. They're going to be able to give you counsel and advice that, that matches what the Bible says. Guys, take advantage of that. And it does, it's not limited to other church members. You might have family and friends anywhere, everywhere. Take advantage of them. Let them carry some of your load. Paul did. He says, I was, we had troubles without, we had fears, we had fightings without, fears within. And the next verse he says, we were comforted by the coming of Titus. Paul mentioned Timothy and Silas in Acts 18. He waited for them because he was scared in one place. And when they showed up, then he would preach boldly. Guys, take advantage of the people God has put around you. Now, when these problems come on you, and not your fault, just part of life and it's happening, come to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This next uh, piece of advice, boy, I, I struggle to give it to you because I struggle to practice it myself, but I know it's true. And I have found every time I have practiced it, it works. But the next time life just gets to be too much, learn how to thank God. Learn how to look at that from a different perspective and say, well, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use this. I don't see how this could ever turn into something good or give you glory. But I'm just going to patiently wait for you to do something in my life with whatever's going on. And God, thank you for this. I get to see you work in my life. I get to see you answer some prayers and work some things out. So thank you for it. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. As I was talking to this couple this week, I, I mentioned their situation earlier. The, their daughter was born without part of her brain and just very heartbreaking situation. But to hear that dad, that man, stand there and say, we don't know why God has allowed this, but we trust him. 
And we don't, know lo- we don't know how long God is going to keep our daughter here and how long we're going to have to deal with this, but we know that His grace will always be sufficient. Now, what we do, right? I might, I might be going backwards a little bit here. Let me mention this. When we get worried about the future, and we think, man, I'm going through trouble. What if these troubles happen, you know, tomorrow or next week? What am I going to do? I don't think I could handle that. God hasn't given you the grace you need for that today. You're not dealing with that now. When that problem starts, you know what he'll do? He'll give you the necessary grace to get through that. And it's wonderful to see these couples, these people going through these things and they testify one after another that God's grace is sufficient. But there's, there's no promise in the Bible that when the problems start, God snaps his fingers and all the problems goes away just because you prayed about it. Sometimes God leaves that thorn in your flesh to draw you closer to him or prevent other problems, whatever the case might be. Patiently wait for God to show you what that thing is all about. That's what verse 5 is there for. If any of you lack wisdom, God, why are you allowing this? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God, please show me how to handle this. Show me why I'm going through it. God will be faithful to answer that. But be patient. Let him work on his time. Chapter 5, James 5, verse 10. James 5 and 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Do you see where James refers you to the Old Testament? Do you see that? Go read your Bible, see how those men went through it, and all of them, they needed patience. All of them. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. We count them happy. Wait a minute, they're suffering affliction. But we count it as if they're happy. Why? Because we have the benefit of seeing what God did with that whole process. God used their affliction for his glory and because they didn't give up because they found a way to thank God while it was happening it allowed them not to buckle under the pressure of it do you see it it's their attitude and how they approached it rather than seeing it as a curse they saw it as a blessing which example does James give us you have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy we all know the story of Job everything went wrong you talk about a bad day he had one bad day all of that stuff you read about in Job 1 happened in one day and then a little while later he lost his health that's Job 2 and then for a while Job had to patiently wait for God to show up and give him wisdom why God why eventually God did show up you remember what happened at the end of Job you remember the end of the Lord What did God do in the end? He restored it all double, yes? Right? Let me ask you folks this. Did Job have a relationship with God before all the trouble started? You know what God did by the end of it? He gave him everything double. Job ended up with double the relationship he had. He was twice as close to God as he was before. Now, if you approach it like that, I'm not saying it makes the problem go away. I'm telling you that's the best you can do to deal with these insurmountable problems that life hands you. 
You can't change it. You can't make it go away. You can just say, God, I don't know why, but I know you'll use it somehow. Thank you for it. So I'm gonna show you one last verse and we're done. Come to Psalm 55 and we'll finish up here. Psalm 55 and verse 22. Psalm 55 and verse 22. You know, I've told you tonight about that couple that... uh, has that heartbreaking situation and God knows I've met plenty of other couples that have similar situations I, well, I, I got to tread lightly I dare not compare any of the problems I've ever gone through to what they are, they are going through what some of you are going through because I know some of you are dealing with some serious stuff but I do know this whatever the trouble is that I've gone through the more it hurt the more comfort God provided and the closer I got to God as a result of it. Now doesn't this ring true with Romans 5? Tribulation works patience. Patience experience. And experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. There's something about it. The more the pain, the more God shows his love. Guys, please keep that in mind as you go through something. Psalm 55 and verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee say I got problems I don't know what to do I don't know what to do they're too big for me I can't handle them take it to the Lord and leave it there guys I know that might sound oversimplified but that's what you have to do you have to believe that God's going to honor this cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved he's not going to allow the devil to drive you farther away from him because of what you're going through but you're going to have to have to take your burden to God and let him handle it and that might mean letting somebody else help you carry that burden for a while that might be how God helps you through it might be part of it before we started the sermon tonight We sang this, does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? Worried about something. As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Worried about something. Is God going to take care of me? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed? To resist some temptation strong. Listen to this one. When for my deep grief. Insurmountable problems. I find no relief. Though my tears flow all the night long. What's the answer? Oh yes. He cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary. And the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Isn't that what Peter said? Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Oh yes, He cares. Guys, stress is a part of life, but there are some biblical ways that we can deal with it. Let's all stand if you would, please.